Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Celtic Stuff Live. Welcome to Celtic Stuff Live on CLNS Radio, the leading online provider of audio and video coverage for Boston sports. I'm your host, Justin Poulin, and with me, my co-host, John Duke. Only one week of games left and some cuts, uh, and then we'll have our, our final show. We'll have a week break, and then the season will finally begin. The Celtics at this point are four and one on the year. The next two tip-offs are against the Nets and the Knicks, respectively, once again, because we just played both of those teams and uh, learned a little bit about who those roster cuts may be. John, yeah, they're they're coming, man. It's it's happening. We're all we've all played the shell game. The, the I want to say shell game, the the parlor game, I suppose. Since draft night, trying to figure out who's it going to be, who's in, who's out, who's up, who's down. Is there going to be a trade? You know, I think draft night or draft night show. You and I were talking about cave. Well, they're not going to take all these picks, and they took all those picks nearly. <laughs> and then, <laughs> except for the very what first one in the second round, and they yeah, spun off for a future pick. Right. Yeah. So it's, you know, we, we were, we were uh, at that point where, you know, we thought, I mean, this is really, a, this, this conversation's been building since, I mean, years, this is years old in that, well, they're never going to take the picks. They did take all the, nearly all the picks <laughs> they've been going through. Yes. They were able to stash a couple guys, uh, Yabu's in, in, in Spain or excuse me, in, in China. And we got, uh, Ante Zizic is over in the Adriatic league. But everybody else pretty much is on this roster now, and and as we've seen through uh, this exhibition season here, nearly two thirds of the way through, uh, you know I think that probably unlike what we've seen in many years, this has been a situation where Brad Stevens has really focused solely on trying to get his rotation down one, which I think he's, he's well. We got. need to talk about that for sure. But, Absolutely, but but the second part is really kind of where coming back to this, which is to try to see who those who that what's going to happen with that fifteenth, sixteenth man uh, situation, and and really forgetting anybody else. We have not seen any playing time by Ben Bentel and company. People who are not going to make this roster are not playing. So we're gonna you're gonna see heavy minutes in those those third and fourth quarters, especially we we've had thus far, and we will see this week. 
of a lot of James Young, a lot of R.J. Hunter, maybe Demetrius Jackson, maybe Gerald Green, uh, maybe Jordan Mickey. I think all five of those guys are, you know, have some share of, of concern. Uh, but obviously, I think for a lot of us, the eyes have been on, on uh, James Young and on R.J. Hunter, and, and rightfully so. Yeah, and I think there's really three priorities for the final two games here. Number one is keep that first unit, you know, fresh. I know there's going to be a week off, but they've played really well together, and they need to be able to maintain that. Will they get heavy minutes? No. To your point, think that Brad is going to try to – he might – tweak a little bit with some lineups and see what he can get away with. Kelly Olenek is likely not going to be playing uh, any games in the uh, in the preseason, so that's an interesting development that came out in the last week. There's really nothing to say about it, I don't think, except for the fact that, boy, that's too bad. It would have been nice to, to integrate him into those rotations. But I think Brad's utilized Jarebko in the same way in terms of substitution patterns, as he would with Kelly Olenek, at least in the early going of the season while Kelly is rehabilitating. And Amir Johnson is playing at a high level and playing well alongside Horford. We might want to get into that in the show. We'll see how much time we have. But I think, you know, there's a nice article on Celtics blog talking about, you know, the chemistry between Johnson and Horford, and it's pretty obvious. And I think it was obvious I think to me it was obvious they would have started the season alongside each other, even over Kelly Olenek, if Kelly had even been healthy for the entire preseason. Just feel like Brad's going to want to start out the year with defense and experience and a rotation very similar to the one from last year. But they've got to keep that three priorities in the next two games, keep that one fresh. They still got to work on the rotation. Those substitution patterns are not smooth. Um, once they bring in one or two guys off the bench, it, it does not transition well. So they need to work on that. And probably we'll see a heavy dose in the second half, probably most of the second half, from the players that are on the fringe. Uh, Bentel probably withstanding. I don't know that we're going to see a whole lot of minutes from Bentel, but I think the majority of the second half in the last game against the Knicks, where we saw Jackson, Hunter, Green, Mickey, Young, those five players, they're the ones that they've got to make some real hard decisions on coming up here. There's some tough there's some tough choices. There's definitely some tough choices. I mean we've we've had I think probably I, I think you know, it's much like the start of last year where I think there was a lot of criticism for for Brad and, and not thinning out the rotation and, and and kind of condensing it down to a smaller number. He said this week he's gonna have a rotation between eight and ten guys, which seems reasonable. Last year he was playing twelve some nights. But that was because there wasn't separation, and that's what we're looking for right now on this roster. What's the separation going to be? Who is going to distance themselves from the others? I think in the start of, of this exhibition season, James Young, far and away, was was the better of of all of those candidates we talked about. I think since then, I think particularly the last two nights, R.J. Hunter has really kind of filled the void. So it's a it's a really it's a tough it's a tough choice. I'm thinking right now. I'm leaning this way that I think James Young is going to make it. I like what RJ can do. I'd love to see a trade, though. I think the trade is the best possible alternative. You get something for the situation you're in. I think these guys can play. I think they, they can have NBA careers, but they, they need to have opportunity, and they need to be able to 
fit in the right situation. Unfortunately, James Young has had this opportunity, and James Young is more frustrating to me personally than than R.J. Hunter. I just like the thought of what James Young could be um, more so than R.J. I think R.J.'s got to be there. And in That's age, so interesting because on yeah. the last show, and Sam Sheehan's going to like this take coming up here. So here we go. Sam, you and your buddy uh, Sullivan James Sullivan, get ready, hot take central. No, not really, but – but I, I've been down, down on Young for all these years, you know, except when he was picked, cause I loved him. This is an interesting development, cause you hated the pick out of the gate. Yep. It's been no problem to criticize him the entire time since we got the show started back up in the, uh, since the time that he was drafted. And yet here we are at the end of training camp and you, John Duke, are all of a sudden thinking that you would like to keep James Young and I, am not in that camp. I I am now a convert and it's look, it's just one fourth quarter. It's not but I saw what about what was the criticisms last week? Hunter had no confidence. He looked yeah. lost out on the court. He's a shooter who can't shoot. But you know what he became in fourth quarter? He became a scorer. And he exhibited great confidence. That's when my head turned. When I want I actually went back and watched this, the game a second time and just watched how he moved with the ball. I mean, he had a nice three ball that he came off a screen, so he was kind of in motion and moving up into a shot. He had a set shot three, but mostly what got him going was attacking the basket and finding a way to get easy buckets. And then the next thing you know, the kid is on fire. Now, I know it was against the New York Knicks end of the bench scrubs for the most part, but you have to respect the fact that he finally showed some fire. My thing was, I was not seeing any alpha dog out of him until that day. No, he he stood up. I mean, he and I and I would add to not only did he become a scorer, his playmaking abilities kind of shined a bit too. He was able to make some passes, make some plays, create some opportunities for teammates. I mean, that's that's all good stuff. And and I'm not sure what that does show some resiliency, which is really what you need from the guy in that position, the young guy, because they're not going to play. This isn't. You know, right now, these guys are going to get minutes every one of these exhibition games. They know they're going to have opportunities. You know, if you're 15th man, you may not get an opportunity between 20 games, 30 games, 40 games, if at all. So to be able to to have a bad run and work your way out of it, come back and play, that's that's definitely worthwhile. Uh, and you're right, the score aspect, not just being a shooter, really helps to to solidify what he can do. The one thing I'd say about James Young is I, I do think he's starting to figure out his body, his size. That's something that a lot of guys aren't, aren't able to do. He's showing some scrap and some fight. I mean, the ball that, that went to the over the scorer's table there oh, on Saturday Amazing night, play. Great play. Not a play we would have seen from James Young last year, two years ago. So I think there's some growth there. I would have liked to have seen this James Young last year. And, you know, this not be – you know, the third year here, we're, we're really looking to see some real growth, and, and it's probably not as much as we'd like to have seen, given where he was drafted. But here we are. I still think, though, that where he is in this system, he has more room to grow than does RJ. And Well, so- but it's more of an indictment that in his third year, when he really finally is on his ass in terms of, I might not be with this team anymore that that's when he steps up. It's a less of an indictment that Hunter is only 
starting to show that confidence early in his second year in preseason, right? So if I'm seeing fight out of these two guys, I'm I'm more likely to believe it from Hunter than I am Young. With the exception of James Young was is a very young player. I think he's is he actually younger than Hunter. So oh, yeah. when, when you figure out when you or when you consider age, uh, then then maybe you should still have some optimism. So there's points for each player. Young's is yeah he's been here a year longer, but he's you know his namesake. He's young, and Hunter is a little bit further along in his career, a little bit older, spent more time in college. But at the same time, it's only a second year with the club, and he's fine in his way in his position. But he really did show some some of that alpha dog that I I was impressed. I'm just going to say I was impressed. It will be interesting to see what happens over the next two games. Do you think they'll wait to make these cuts until after both games are played? I think they will. I mean, I think yeah, I think they will. I think they're going to. No reason not to, right? Yeah, yeah. And and to your point in terms of age, James Young is. Turned 21 this summer. Uh, Hunter, uh, a week from tomorrow, uh, turns 23. So there's a two-year age difference, which that's a big deal, you know. I mean, it <laughs> that's a big deal in, in this in this game. And yes, James Young is going to be up for some some contract discussions next year. And you know, are you going to be ready to pay him? I don't think anyone is. So I don't think you're going to be in an issue there. But that's that two-year age gap makes it does matter and you know to your earlier point yes there was you can criticize hunter you can criticize the young for only showing the fight now when he could have shown the fight a year ago conversely with with hunter he showed a great ability a year ago and was never able to really to take advantage of that and then Really, you would have thought he would have built off of that in summer league, and and here to start the exhibition season. And he really didn't. He really did. You know, it didn't seem as though he's even playing as well as he did at times last year, last preseason, or last certainly last summer league. So, you know, there's some some inconsistency there, and that's that's what Brad's looking for. It's what he says he's been looking for. He's looking for someone who's going to to be consistent, who's going to give that effort even when they, you know, it's not ready there. There was the uh, the feature on on Jordan Mickey the other day, you know, just talking about, you know, that Steve Bopet did, talking about the same idea where, you know, he's got ability and and Jay Crowder said he's got, you know, he's got the ability, but he's got to be keep doing it every rep in practice, every day, every opportunity. He's got to show that. And and Mickey had a great day um, on on was it Tuesday night or Wednesday? Uh, excuse me, Saturday last Saturday night. Um, hasn't had as great of a consistent effort, but again, he's another guy like Hunter. Last year showed very strongly. And and hasn't had, didn't start at least this exhibition season as strongly as as they showed last year. All there's some weaknesses all the way around. I would just say real quick about Demetrius G. Jackson. I think he's played well. I think he's a guy I'd want to keep on the 15 man. I wouldn't want to you know kind of take the gamble and send him down to to Maine with Ventil on a, on a you know without having rolling his rights. But I thought he played really well against the Knicks. Ah, uh, you know. You and well, I look, look. At the start, but here's Green, the deal. I'm not as big a fan. Yeah, Bentel is definitely not making it, and they're going to yeah. try to put him in Maine. So let's just put that to rest. That's obvious. Yeah. It's already been decided. What's left is Jackson, Young, Hunter, Green, and Mickey. Most of the conversations have surrounded. It's either going to be Young or Hunter that gets cut. 
I'm not so sure about that. But the reason you think that is the points in Gerald Green's bucket are he's a veteran, he's been around, he's actually the oldest player on the team, he's got some athleticism, he can fill up some positions that are not there. You can see in the lineups that they used the other night where he plays the three and then they can put um, – my boy Brown over on the four, and Jalen has played well at the four, so it works out in that lineup. There's some flexibility there. It's also the reason you think uh, on the on the front end of things that maybe James Young stays, to your point, because there's depth in that long, lean, we want to go small but be athletic, you know, wing position, so you think that's an edge there. But I am going to go a little counter. I want to make two points. One is... In, in the last game on Saturday afternoon, one of the things we saw was ball handling duties um, in Jalen Brown's hands. So Jackson and Hunter each had some, but a lot of times it was Jalen Brown that was bringing, bringing the ball up. Yet, I think I agree with you 100%. I've actually been pretty impressed by the composure of Demetrius Jackson. Now, Jackson might have been a guy you'd say easy to cut, but not so much because... They just got him this year, so maybe they've seen enough of Hunter, and they've definitely seen enough of Young where they can make a decision on those two players. But I'm going to go counter, and I'm going to say that they're even more likely to keep the guards because that's where the strength of the team is in terms of trade. Like, if that's who the, if that's a position that they can deal from, and then all of a sudden they deal one or two players, you're going to want Jackson or Hunter around to bolster him behind it, which actually goes back to Young because Maybe the discussion is really young or green. I don't think they should give up on Jordan Mickey. I know he's the deeper pick in the second round, and but they made that long-term financial commitment to him, and you just never know what's going to happen. Kelly Owen Linick is not healthy. You can always use a big man who's comfortable with the system on the roster, and even though Mickey's a little bit older too, I think you can run with him for at least one more year before you give him the axe. So maybe it's not. Maybe Hunter is a lot more likely to stay on this roster than we think, and the cut really is coming down to Green or Young. Do they see enough from Young where they want to roll him out there one more season, and they think they have enough talent and play from somebody like Jalen Brown where Green maybe wasn't going to get a lot of minutes. So they cut the vet, keep the youth on the team in the event of a trade. But then you could go the other way with it, too, and say, eh, they've seen enough of Young. They want to keep Green. Maybe this cut is a lot more about Young versus Green than we thought. Yeah, well, you know, and I think the other thing about Green is his contract status. I mean, it's a one-year contract. He's a, he's a minimum salary guy. And is that, you know, you you want to cut loose on, on a guy who's who you have at least two years of, of – Ownership of or, or you know rights owned to, uh, owned by in, in in I guess in the case of James Young, that's somebody who you you're cutting loose in favor of a 30 year old who probably isn't going to be better tomorrow than he is today. So that's that's a tough that's a tough gamble in the long run to to kind of willing be willing to to take that take that risk take the older guy leave him on the roster he does seem to be working out well for the young kids he seems to be kind of a, a zen, what, they, what did rj hunter say he was the the zen a zen quality to him i don't know that i ever would have thought of you know the the kid who you know took his shoes off at the dunk contest uh <laughs> or or you know put the 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 what was it? The cupcake with him blowing up. I never really thought of him as a Zen guy, but you know, 
hey, it's great. Hey, it's, listen, you know, he's played that. overseas. You have no idea. You know, he's Gerald Green, the thirty-year-old, is way more cultured, cultured, and world traveled than eighteen-year-old Gerald Green for certain. I mean, there was a time when we thought Gerald Green was was a possibility to become the next Kobe Bryant. I mean, that's literally what we were thinking. Crazy athleticism, young player out of high school, like the whole the whole deal, right? Yep. And uh, that obviously didn't happen. But you know, it is interesting to to look at his his development uh, as a as a over his career. But and he does have a good, I don't know, disposition. And it and I guess part of me thought that maybe he was a problem kid or something, and, and I don't know why I thought that. And maybe it was just that he didn't achieve expectations. Remember, he was in that draft, and not only was it him, but Orion Green. We drafted two Green teamers that year, which was kind of funny. I will tell you, the first time I watched the game on Saturday afternoon, I guess it was evening, wasn't it? Um was my wife and I were running, we ran the, a Hershey half marathon Sunday morning. So, you know, another big, I guess that's the fifth half we've done in the last three years, but wound up going out to Aruga's and I pumped myself full of carbs and mac and cheese. And I was watching the game, uh, on, in our booth and they had the, uh, yes networks broadcast. And lo and behold, I don't know if you knew this, but Wally Zerbiak is a play by play or color analyst. On the Yes Network for the Knicks. So he was talking about Gerald Green, and I didn't really hear it. I was just reading it, and it said Wally. You know, I was they have the closed captioning. It said Wally, and then I was like, when I played with Gerald, he was just such a great kid, wanted to learn. And I was reading all these, like, really positive comments about Green, and I don't know why I had a different, per- you know, I had this idea in my head that was way off base about, you know, what what he was like early on in his career. But then I was like, Wally? And then I looked it up, and it was. It was Wally Zerbiak's doing doing color commentary for the for the Knicks broadcast, which is funny. That is that is funny. And, it's, and you know, I don't think we really got a lot of those stories when he was here. I think probably it was because the team was so bad. They were, you know. There was a lot of controversy on that team because it it was a young team, but I'm not sure they were – you know, as steady, you know what I mean? And during that time too, Tony Allen had some run-ins. I mean, there was, there were some struggles on that squad. I do remember being in the locker room with Al Jefferson and Kendrick Perkins though, and they were just a riot. Their lockers were side by side. They were the best of friends. It was really, you know, they were a fun team as well, but you know, even Delonte West uh, you know, was a great kid. Why you hang out? Remember? It was a great ad. That's the number one Celtics commercial ever. Number two Celtics commercial ever is the one where Perk and Al Jefferson are wrapped up like Christmas presents. I don't know if you remember that one. <laughs> I <but> don't. <laughs> they had this one where it was like not the, the that one was the Why a Hangout. That was a Comcast one or Fox Sports where it was at that point. But they the Celtics had one where they wrapped up Perk and Al like Christmas presents and they were like trying to like not talk or I don't remember what the conceit was of the whole thing, but it was it was pretty hilarious. Those guys were 
it's it's a shame we didn't get those two guys together for a long time. That would would have been really enjoyable here in Boston. But you know, we at the expense of a championship and Kevin Garnett, which yeah. is what it made it so palatable. But but exactly. that's what those are one of the reasons that Al Jefferson was so beloved. And when that trade was going down, a, a large majority of the fan base was a no go on that, which is just it's insane now when you think about it. Um, all right, so maybe that that does it for the cuts. Let's just want, well, let's make your prediction because on next yeah. week's show we can go back. Let's just let's make our prediction next Sunday. We'll talk about it, and then uh, we'll we'll go to a break real quick, and then come back and talk about these rotation patterns. Maybe how chippy the Nets game was, and a, maybe a little bit of an advanced look ahead because we got another matchup against the Nets, and then that's how we tip off the season. And you know, lots of bad blood there that we can talk about. Too. I think the most likely thing is there's a trade. I, you know, I, they always say it's the least likely thing is that a deal will happen. But I just can't believe that that this is there's going to be a cut here for these guys. I just don't believe it. I feel like there's going to be some some minor thing that you know second round picks or you know something future considerations. I you know somehow. Danny's got to be able to move a first-round draft pick who's a year or two away from being drafted for a, an asset of some type. I'm not saying they're going to get, you know, a great player or they're going to get a, you know, a, a, a lottery pick out of it. But I got to believe that there's at least a second-round pick in there somewhere for the Celtics. Um, and I think these guys are better than some guys that are on rosters that will make teams. And so, you know, just on the the sheer math of that, I feel like there's got to be a deal there. Um, if they do cut one, though, I still think it's RJ. I, I just I don't like the idea of cutting a 21 year old who's made some strides, not great strides, but some strides to become an NBA player. He can put the ball on the floor, he can shoot it a bit. He's getting better defensively, not great, but better. And uh, that's. That's something, and they need guys his size. I think RJ's lack of size and lack of really adding enough bulk in, in his thin frame is, is going to be something that's going to hold him back here in Boston. He All right, so your vote, your vote is Hunter, yep. and your wild card is the trade, even yep. though it's something that we've all been calling for. It yep. does seem to be still somewhat of a wild card because of the, you know, where we're at in the season. All right, so here's mine. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, my bet's gonna go on Green. Actually, I think Green's gonna get. Cut. Yep, that's where I'm going. I know they like to have their vets, but I think Danny sees value in the youth, and he he can always. I think he can always make a deal to bolster the lineup or the depth, or he can bring Green back and work a trade. You know, if if nobody else picks him up, I just I I just think I think Green's the guy to go. And my wild card, if that one wasn't enough of a, a curveball bet, my wild card is that they cut Jackson and sign him to D League in a wink-wink, nod-nod kind of move where they will, you know, as long as no other team picks him up, that he'll he'll hide out in the red claws and then they'll sign him to a contract next year in training camp. So you hear that, Sam? We didn't. Neither one of us. Well, I guess I did, didn't I? I said, yeah, you totally, you totally slammed Hunter. It's amazing that neither one of us picked Young. (laughs) Right. I know. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, you know, look. Could we both be wrong? Could something else – could a major deal happen? That seems pretty unlikely. But, you know, I, this roster still is in flux, and we're still waiting for that move. And like you said, if, if you do keep Jackson, 
you put yourself in a position, if you do move some of the strength in the backcourt for help elsewhere, you're then able to do, you're able to move Demetrius Jackson into that third point guard role, which I think is ideal for him. I really think he'd be, he'd be well suited to learn in that position. Um, We'll see. We'll see. Time will tell. We're, you know, seven days away. We're going to have some clarity on this roster going forward. Oh yeah. The next show is going to be real good. And then we'll be able to preview the, uh, the regular season, the opener and uh, how we see that first week going. All right, everybody. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to hear from our newest sponsor, audible.com. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about, well, what, what show would be complete without a conversation about Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart. And then we're going to get into the rotations as well, because I think we do need to talk about the transitioning. The first set of substitution patterns is still not very smooth. So we'll be right back. All right, we're back, John, and I guess we can leave the Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart conversation towards the end. Let's talk a little bit about the substitution patterns and the rotations, because what I've seen in the preseason is, and it all goes back to the very first open practice that we got to see the very first bit of basketball we got to see the Celtics play. But the second unit we had heard had been beating the first unit. Now, there's no way that's happening at this point in preseason. The first unit is a pretty well-oiled machine, seeing great things from Avery Bradley. Al Horford, I said this on the... uh on, on the post-game show that I did after Wednesday night's game, but Al Horford, his nickname should be the surgeon. He is so precise, so on point, the detail, the meticulous, it's just disgusting how awesome he is. And we're going to talk about it so much this season. It, it It's just going to come up night in and night out. And I gave you some love as well on the post-game show for calling his rebounding numbers improving. You know, you really nailed that. That was a fantastic preseason prediction. But here's the thing. The first substitution pattern is super-duper awkward. I think it was obvious that Marcus Smart was going to sub in for Avery Bradley just for the defensive prowess, etc. And then we see Jarebko come in, which would be the Kelly Olenek substitution most likely once he's healthy. But it's really awkward. It doesn't work, or it didn't work, especially in the very last game against the Knicks. How Horford slides over to the five, and Jarebko slides in at the four, and then Marcus Smart comes in. But that... Those five players looked really disjointed. And then the next substitution pattern, I can't remember who's been coming in right after that, but I know it's Rozier. And then who else came in? I'm trying to remember. Um, Rozier and then, let's see. So Isaiah Thomas goes out and Amir Johnson goes out in the first, I mean, uh, Bradley and Johnson go out in the first rotation. Then... Thomas goes out and come on. Jalen Brown doesn't come in yet. He's the substitution he's, after that. Crowder stays one. out. The, yeah, Tyler Zeller did. It was, was Tyler. No, Tyler right. Zeller came in for yeah. Horford. It's yeah. just a mess. It's an absolute mess. Then once you, once you get Brown in there and it's Rozier, Brown, Smart, Jarebko and Zeller, it actually smooths out again. And I think it has to do with them playing together, but I want, I think we have to, in the next two games, and probably for that week off before the season starts, they've got to figure out how to make that work. Cause Rozier looks very comfortable. I almost think he should be the first sub instead of Smart. And I know that sound, I still think Smart's 
the better impact player, but I just think it might help with that transition if Terry's already out there when Smart subs in. No, I, I, I don't. I, I think it's a mixture of the of the of the units that that's the issue. I don't I don't think it's personnel at this point. I think I think we could have a better sense of that in you know mid December or or you know late November when they've done this a few times. But you're right. I mean, I think what they've been doing thus far, and, and you, I think you see this a lot, is that you know the first group plays together in practice, and the second group plays together in practice, and they have some good cohesion. And so when it's solely that group, they know what they're doing. They know how to play with each other. They're beginning to get a sense of each other's strengths. But when there's a, a mixture of those of those groups, it's not so hot. Even even really at the end of the games, we've seen that where the really what I consider the third unit, you know, and and throwing Demetrius Jackson in there and Hunter and 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 Young and you know you, and maybe it's Drebko but it's Mickey or or it's, it's Zeller. Those guys have some pretty good unity too. So I, I'm thinking right now, I'm not too worried about that. I don't think they need to mess with that. I think Smart is a guy you got to put in there. I don't think that. See, I don't. I think that's. I think that's the issue. Is 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 not a great thing. You think it's detrimental to chemistry? It's. I think it's terrible. That's a terrible story because you could argue that Smart is is as valuable as as some of the guys starting. Honestly, so yeah, but I think your your eighth guy, you know, in this case, because he's after your first your first big too. That that seems like that's pushing him a little bit further down the. The, the list that he should be. I don't think that that's that's what's holding them back. I don't think Marcus Smart's the one holding them back so much. Um, maybe it's because Bradley's so strong to start the game, as we saw. Well, then the maybe the substitution oh. pattern is to move into a small lineup for a little while, and Johnson comes out, and Thomas comes out in the first rotation, and Smart and Rozier come in. They're just so much better side by side. And I, and I really feel like having, I don't think, I think the, the chemistry miscue has a lot to do with Thomas and Smart. I just, I'm not sure it's there between those two, but it is with Rozier and Smart. They're complementing each other pretty well. And that, that's what I'm kind of getting at. So almost maybe, maybe what happens is Johnson and Thomas come out, Smart and Rozier come in, you have that guard tandem and they play side by side and, you know, you go small lineup for a little bit and then at the next substitution pattern is when you pull Bradley and throw in Jarebko. Well, I think, I think partly, you know, keeping Isaiah Trying to remove Isaiah from the floor at a at a different time than Horford maybe makes some sense because you know you're you're keeping some passing in there. You still have somewhat of a go to threat regardless of you know whether, which one of those two guys is on the floor until you you know really have to pull both of them off at one at one point. So I, I'm not opposed to that idea. I just don't think that I think it's too I think it's too early to say whether or not. You know, smart specifically um, can't gel with Isaiah. We've seen the past they have. They have played well together. I don't think that, you know, I think it's much more a function of where they are right now and, and where the team is and its growth as opposed to, you know, some, you know, some, you know, lack of chemistry between the two. Plus, it's you know there's there's a lot of things going on. Who you're going up against? What are they trying to do? Are they trying to keep their starters in longer? Um, yeah, it, it's 
Yeah, we're, we're, we're talking well, about Well, I'd even teams. say Smart and Bradley out there together would still be better. I, I'm just not loving the Thomas and Smart out there, especially when Amir Johnson comes out. It's just, it just, it just feels funky to me. And I, and I do think, to your point, you definitely stagger Horford and, and Thomas's substitution patterns rather than keeping them as a unit. I see the strength of them as a unit, but that's starting and ending games, in my opinion. I don't think we'll see, you know, a game where the Celtics don't have Isaiah Thomas to finish out. And so the substitution patterns from there should flow with one of those two guys on the floor. Uh, as much as possible to help smooth out the transition. You know, another thing is you, maybe you substitute Brown in instead of um, instead of Jarebko, and maybe that helps a little bit. You know, with the with the defense and and ball handling. If you are going to have, I don't know. There's just something. There's just something. I just see. Remember last year, starting out the year, it was Smart and Bradley that were starting. And they had some really strong finishes to games, but they had some really slow starts. And, you know, Smart is just better at finishing games. I just, I think Rozier is a good ball handler. I think he's the second best guy on the team to direct the offense. And I think he has better chemistry with Smart, and I think it would smooth out the bumps, at least in the early going. Well, you've got to, first of all, we've got to mention the growth of Smart's playmaking because I think that 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 alone – does is does help to change this conversation somewhat in that smart's ability to handle the ball and and play others off the ball when he has the ball uh, as the primary ball handler or at least at t- in times the primary ball handler i think is going to free up everybody especially isaiah so if if he can get in the lineups with isaiah and and they're willing to give him that and we can play Isaiah off the ball a little bit with smart in that primary role. I think that's a good thing for the Celtics. I think that that makes them a much more dangerous team. It's not something I want to have all the time, but I think it's a very valuable thing. I think that 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 growth and what we've seen here over this past week is that smart has taken those steps forward that we've been waiting for in, in running the team. Is he better than Rozier? I think some nights he will be, some nights he won't be. Well, better at what? I mean, every, each player has something that they're better at than others, but I think Rozier is, is very comfortable at the helm. Um, you know, I, I like what we see him. I, I like what we see from him and he's able to shoot and knock down the three. Unfortunately, Marcus Smart, he worked on it a lot and you can see the shooting and he has hit, you know, a couple of three balls, but for the large, in large part, during the preseason, he's still struggling to knock down the three. Yeah, well, it's not going to come back in one year. You know, I mean, he he was a thirty three percent shooter two years ago, his rookie year. He's like twenty five percent last year. You know, and I think you know which of those two years he is, I don't know, but he he needs to be able to get a shot from fifteen to eighteen feet. And this to this point thus far in the preseason, he's a seventy percent shooter from eighteen feet on in. So by being able to do that, by being able to to pull it out at least a little bit, and we've seen that a lot. He drives a little bit, pulls up at the free throw line. If he at least can get people to respect that, that's gonna open up his ability to get all the way to the bucket. And then his strength and will will help him get to the free throw line. So right now I think that that because it's three ball or nothing, or at least it was last year, he hasn't been able to set anybody anybody up with any other move. Now he can go at least get him in a couple steps and then pull it up. And then then things kind of open up for his game a little bit more, I think. 
right now offensively was yeah offensive oh yeah defensively because he no crashes the boards really Zero. well too offensive Absolutely. rebounding he had some nice putbacks I mean I'm not saying he's not contributing on the offense I'm just saying it looks disjointed it did a flow is not there like it is with the other when the when the when the two units are out there as a whole and I think and I think a lot of it has to do with you know Rozier and their chemistry and ball handling but you brought up the three ball I agree it's not like he's just going to start knocking it down it would open up a lot more in his game and then you mentioned the 33 percent from his rookie season and I know on Twitter you and I went back and forth at the end of last week talking about three-point percentage and will Jalen Brown be able to eclipse that and and I said yes but you know what I'm going to go ahead and eat that one you know that was that was a that was a, in a moment of passion of just, you know, you and I debating. I, I'm not even looking at that anymore. And I, and I did mention this on the post game show the other night too. I don't, I, I'm going to stop looking at three point percentage for Jalen Brown. I, you know, that's, it's not a reasonable expectation. He may knock some down, but really the percentage that we should be focusing on with him is free throw percentage because that's how he generates offense on this team. He's either 100% in transition and attacking. Maybe he gets an offensive rebound and puts it back. And then, you know, he's really taking that quick first step, finding the space, turning the corner, and trying to get a lane to the hoop. And then he's winding up on the free throw line. And that's something that really only Isaiah Thomas is bringing to the table on this team right now. So it's something that they should expect him to continue doing. He should be a threat to do when he's out there. And he's shown he can pull it off against most players. I mean, even he's out there with the starters, and he's still pulling it off. Um, he has definitely a lot of learning to do still. But I think it's the free throw percentage that I'm going to be focused on even more than three-point because I don't think they're going to ask him to take a lot of three-point shots. He's going to get some open looks just by virtue of teams not respecting it. But I I think the bigger issue is, you know, can he draw players in by the threat of attacking and still get around them and get to the free throw line? And then does he knock them down? I think that's right. I think that the threat, the, the closeout is going to be where he's going to get his points. He's going to get cheap, 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 uh, offside, you know, you know, kind of weak side rebounds like Tony Allen did. He's going to drive off closeouts. He's going to be a, um, a terror in transition. I think from time to time, he'll be able to put the ball on the floor and create something. Um, but that, that kind of in between game, the pull up game, the, you know, the three point game, that's not going to be there for him this year. And I think he can still be a very valuable player. I think he's, you know, he's certainly a rotation player. He's a guy who's going to play, I think, a fair amount this year to start. And if he can build some confidence in his shot, say 15 to 18 feet, then I think he can build up from there. But that's why I, I really equate him and Smart very similarly in that they don't have the shot. But they have other they have other talent. Smart needs to attack more like Brown does. He would attack in a different way because he's more of a bulldog than than jump out of the gym athlete. Athlete, he is an incredible athlete and he can jump like crazy. But you get my point. It's not necessarily about turning the corner and speed and quickness. He's going to have a little bit more of that Paul Pierce strength and veteran savvy to the way that he attacks. But he has it in him. He does. See, his problem is, is that, you know, even to get a step on somebody is tough for him. You know, it's, he's not going to be quicker than most guys he's playing. He's going to have to overpower them 
And that's tough from 22 feet out to get to that point. You can get to the rim. So that's why, you know, I'm leaning so heavily on that pull-up jumper. I know it's it's the mid-range game is dead. and, and nobody, uh, That's such a know, bunch of nonsense. But Nobody's I, saying I that about Al Horford. And how many mid-range shots did he take the other night when he started out five for five? Right. You, anybody who can pull the defense away from the basket, the further the better, no doubt about it. But it, the more that you can do that and you pull, you force people to guard you further away, the better off you are. And if he gets, if Smart can get guys to, to guard him from 15 to 18 feet because they know he can pull up, then that just gives him, add that hesitation dribble and then boom, he's, he's at the bucket. And that's something every, Avery Bradley's been able to add is that, you know, he didn't have that. Now he can change direction, change speed and get to the, get to the rim. That, that adds more to his game, and that's where I think Smart's going to have to be. I don't know if he's he has the quickness that Jalen has. See, Jalen's got that quickness where he's going to be driving on fours or threes, and he's going to get around him. That there's nobody. Gonna be, he's not going. They can't defend that guy if they're going. Even to even if up. a power four, if he's playing power oh forward, especially when he's out there with like the starting unit where he gets attention drawn away from him, that opens up those lanes. It gives, and even if the power forward sits off of him and says, uh, you know what, go ahead, just try to drive the lane. He's still quick enough, even though the guy's three feet off of him, four feet off of him, he's still quick enough to burn most power forwards in the league to at least take a foul. And that's, again, yeah. why I point at that free throw percentage. Defensively, though, like look what Carmelo did to him the other night. I mean, he got him to go up twice. On I mean, that that's the rookie mistake stuff that we're going to see all season long where he he's either got a hand on and you know like Carmelo just bodied him up went right into his body and went up with a shot and went to the line or they're going to pump fake um the other thing that I could see happening and I don't think I've seen it yet but when he's guarding somebody out on the perimeter when they show I can see Jalen getting off of his feet and then the player going and the defense breaking down but he also has some really, like, he's altered shots. I don't know how much you've watched him when he's down in the paint playing the four, but even when he doesn't actually get, like, a legit block, he's definitely altering shots, and he, he's really close to becoming a swap machine. And I think that is an area of his game that is going to improve dramatically over the next five years. I think it's something that we're going to, all of a sudden, we're going to be like, man, that was a crazy block. Sort of like what we got out of Al Horford the other night, too. Yeah, I, you know, I, I'm not a huge fan of of the Jalen Brown playing the power forward position. Personally, I not long term. Yeah, I mean, it's his right role now, on this right now, but long term, you know, it's not his place. I I know that he can get around anybody. I know that there's there's value and all that. I just I look at that and I I feel like he's gonna get bold over most nights. Um, he, he's gonna, he has enough skill to stay with small forwards. I, I don't really understand that. I know that the idea is, well, I feel like he can do more defensively, perhaps, but maybe, you know, on a small forward, but maybe that's the thought that Brad has, which is he's gonna be able to space, play in space a bit more as a, as a power forward, and that allows him to kind of play more of a free safety role and, and pick off passes and things. I, I'm not sure. I just. It's the small ball move. Man. I mean, Brad I already I, uses it a lot. And Jalen brings something different when he plays the four versus Crowder. Not to mention Crowder then can then stay at the four. Like, think about playing a team 
like Cleveland, as a matter of fact. You know, you, you're going to want Crowder. I've seen some, some questions out there on Twitter and stuff. It's like, won't they put Jalen Brown on, on, uh, you know, LeBron James, right? Uh, no. <laughs> no, right. not at all. Right. LeBron will smoke Jalen Brown right now. Crowder's the guy to have on LeBron defensively. I mean, he'll fluster him the best that he can. But then to your point about the free safety is Jalen can keep up with, you know, anybody Cleveland can throw at the four, even if they go small and then they put LeBron at the four, you know, in a gimmicky lineup themselves, Crowder easily slots over there and Jalen plays the three. But I think Jalen can give them some, you know, some flexibility. But if LeBron is at the three and, and Jay Crowder's guarding him, then you do have Brown that can kind of, you know, roam and range, and he can quickly bring the double to LeBron and still recover, especially once he learns the speed of the game defensively and gets the rotations down. Yeah, no, you're right. I think you're right about that. I think it, I, it, in a rigid sense, I don't like him playing power forward. Do I mind him playing a forward position where he's just taking whoever's there? No, you know, I don't mind that. I think... There, there. As you said, there are matchups that make sense. I just, I don't see in a crunch time situation. I don't like the idea of saying, "Well, I'm going to start out with Jalen uh, on on Carmelo, and I'm going to put Jay on whoever the other four. I don't even know who the other forward would be on the Knicks at that time. You know what I mean? I mean, I want my bull. I want my bull on on their bull. You know, and I know that Jay can do the job on on LeBron or on Carmelo. Um, I mean, they're better. I'm not saying he's going to shut them down, but but I like I like that's our best opportunity. What I like about having Jay out there is if he gets caught in a switch, we're not at immediate huge disadvantage. And we saw that the other night uh, when uh, when when they're playing the Nets, who you know play their tails off. Um, didn't like seeing that, by the way. But you know there was a switch on the on that side there. Uh, on you know as the inbounds came in, the switch came. And and Rozier and I think it was Rozier and and uh, Jalen Brown just cut it off. There's nothing they could do. There was Scola, he wasn't going around him. Grievous Vasquez, he wasn't going around either one of those guys. And that's it, done, ball game. You know that's that's what that positional versatility buys. You know you're not switching by by having Jalen playing the four in that situation. That switch put Grievous being guarded by Jalen Brown, and he's not going to be able to get around him. You know? That's that's why you know you you do play him at power forward. So there are pros to it. I, I'm not saying I'm against it entirely, but it's I think it's a it's a situational thing as opposed to an everyday run of the mill um, you know positional thing. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? As we kind of wrap all of this too, let's talk about that Nets chippy. Like you said, that game was way too close. They're going to have another matchup this week, and then they're going to kick off the season against the Nets. And we're all, you know, I mean, what's that Twitter handle? Like Nets pick watch or something like that. Nets pick and you, they're did the Nets win? Did the Nets win? That's what it is. I mean, it's just hilarious, and it's obviously a big deal to the Celtics in terms of. You know, the value, that pick is a tradable commodity. It's one I would actually prefer they do not trade. And I, it's just, it's just funny because you know the Nets are going to get up against the Celtics because that storyline is something that 
those players get asked all the time. And every pregame, you know reporters are bringing it up to them before they go and take the floor. And then after the game, they talk about it. You, it's going to actually be this bizarre storyline. And the Nets did get a win against this team last year, too. So I think Horford really reduces the likelihood of it. But can't you almost see, like, with a week off before the first game of the year, a couple of chippy preseason games, and then because the Celtics have that thing in the past, you know what I mean? Like more games off is not a good thing for the Celtics. It has, or it wasn't last season. The more game, with the exception of maybe the Philly snow out when Marcus Smart came out and was hitting three pointers for a little while. Other than that, you know they were better. Remember with one day's rest or on back to backs. They had some of their best record most of last season. Um, you almost can see that Nets game being just as contested as the first one in the preseason. Yeah, I mean, I I think that the preseason game, my guess here, these next two games here, both on, on Monday and on Wednesday night, there's going to be a lot of end-of-the-bench guys. It's going to be a lot, of, a lot of James Young, a lot of R.J. Hunter. So it, we may not see as close to – what we'll see on opening night on the 26th, you know, you know what I mean? I think there may be just a little bit less of that perhaps, but they're scrappy as hell, those nets. And I got to give credit to Sean Marks because what he's done there, he's created a roster. I think there's a new blueprint, I guess is what I'm saying. There's a new blueprint in terms of how you build a team. And it's what Danny Ainge did. You build a team with, you know you're gonna you're you know you're gonna build up from the bottom and you're gonna try to get as many picks as you can and you're going to build winning culture you may not win 30 games your first year but you bring in players who want to scrap and want to fight scola vasquez uh you know uh frandy foy i mean those are guys that want to win they're not there to, to run out the string and you know get their numbers i think those are guys that want to fight for 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 victories and so that's what you do. And then as you bring in Rondé Hollis Jeffersons and, and other young guys and you bring them into the fold and you start to develop, maybe you'll fight, maybe you'll hit on some players. Now, of course, we have their number one pick the next two years, which doesn't help, but they're going to have a chance to trade away Brooke Lopez, which should, should get something in return. They should be able to move. So, so I think that there's a future there, but they're going to be scrappy and they're not going to go down easy. I don't think they're going to win a lot of games. I still think they're a pretty bad team, but they're going to be, they'll be, they'll give you a fight if you, if you let them in it based upon, um, you know, you take them lightly. I guess they could get a win on you. And I'm not worried opening night personally, but I think that there are nights you should be concerned about the, the new, the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, I, I, I think I do. I just think there's the, I don't think they're going to upset opening night. I think the, I think you're right. I think the Celtics are in, are in good shape. And we'll talk about it more next week too, because that's really, we're going to be preseason, uh, previewing the start of the season. Maybe we'll even try to figure out, you know, how do they start out? Remember last year they started out seven and seven. Mm -hmm. We're all hoping for a way better beginning to the 2017, 2018 season. No, we need one. We, yeah, and, and and the way they're playing, they should do well. I mean, they do have some tough games in the first month. They got Cleveland and 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 the Warriors here in the first two weeks of the season, or around about the first two or three weeks of the season. So you know, you're gonna play the finals, the two teams in the finals. That those will be a good early test. I certainly think with this team, I'm not so worried about the start. 
in a general sense. I mean, I think it's good to get off to a strong start. I think that their starting group, particularly with the addition of Horford, makes them a much better team to, from, from the jump than they were last year. But I also think this is a, this is a team, and I know this is something you're highly supportive of, is this is about development. This is about a team that's growing from, from within. And yeah, we've got our best player is, is Horford. Our second best player is Isaiah and Jay and, and, and Bradley. And all those guys are, are on, are almost on the other side of 25 old men, as it were. But, you know, the, the future of this team is really Smart's development, Rozier's development, Brown's development. I mean, that's where the team changes and that's where the team goes from. You could still great. say Bradley's development. You could, you could. I mean, you, we might not have thought that, and it just it bears repeating that he's yeah. only twenty five, and here we are. You just think this guy's been in the league for six years; he can't possibly keep adding, but he's three to five years away from his prime still. So, of course, he can keep adding. Absolutely, and and adding that ball handling uh, or playmaking ability is is really remarkable. It really makes him a different player. It makes him more than just a, a one-dimensional 3-and-D guy into really much more of a complete player. And I was I had this, you know, conversation on Twitter. I was like, you know, who else really added playmaking abilities? It seems like it's much more an innate sense that people have or don't have. And somebody said, well, Jimmy Butler was one of those guys. And I thought, well, that's a, that's a good, that's a good point. I mean, he's not a point guard per se, but he's a guy who has that, sees the floor, sees the whole situation. And could Bradley become Jimmy Butler? Maybe not because of the size, but he's probably a better defensive player than Jimmy Butler is. I mean, that and that's not saying that's not taking either player lightly. Um, yeah, you know this is that that development from that second group, and, and yeah, you could throw Bradley in there, but that's where the team goes to the next level. Whether it's because they're the ones who are leading the charge for the championship in two or three years, or it's because they do so well that they're easily able to be traded to get the players who play with Horford and play with Isaiah. And, and and take that group to the to the championship uh, levels. I mean, I think that's what we're that's where we are right now is we're on that that breaking point of which way does it go? And you know, that's the beautiful part about Danny Ainge's situation is he can go in either direction right now. He has that flexibility for about another twelve months. Yeah, he does. And one step at a time. So we're going to close out preseason Monday or tonight matchup against the Nets. Then on Wednesday against the Knicks. Then we've got a week off in that home opener and opening game of the season against the Nets. We'll be back in a week to talk about it. I'm sure we'll be talking more about Kelly Olynyk on next Sunday's show as well. Just once we get these two games under a belt, we'll be able to see just what his availability will be to start this season. A reminder, the show is going to be available on demand on the CLNS Radio mobile app as well as clnsradio.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter. You can follow me at CSL underscore Justin, my co-host here, John, at CSL underscore Duke, as well as the entire CLNS Radio network at CLNS Radio and our Facebook page, facebook.com slash CLNS fans. The Make sure you download the CLNS Radio app for iOS and Android. Just go to your app marketplace and search CLNS Radio. And the YouTube channel, youtube.com 
forward slash CLNS Radio for high-definition, full-length locker room interviews and the Garden Report with our boy Jared Weiss. Big thanks for everybody for tuning in. You can support the show by subscribing to Celtic Stuff Live on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't forget to give us a rating and a review. And a reminder, today's show brought to you by Audible.com. They've got a great deal for all of you listeners, but most importantly, you'd be supporting Celtic Stuff Live and the CLNS Radio Network. All right. Thanks for making it all worthwhile and listening to the show. And for staff writer Eddie Santiago, program director Larry H. Russell, the founder of CLNS Radio, Nick Gelso, and my co-host, John Duke, I'm Justin Poulin. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Celtic Stuff Live. Celtic Stuff Live.